but pay attention to bus route changes. This week, ETS talks about safety and security and its new routes, and neither seem to be coming from a position of, we're doing these things well. Plus, e-scooters threaten to take parking's mantle of the thing people complain about most without actually being an inconvenience. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 122, where this week we are recording on Tuesday. My fault this time. If we missed critical news, um, I don't know... Go to the other municipal politics podcast in Edmonton. Oh, wait, you can't. We're the only ones. You're stuck with us. <laughs> you can read the pulse, though, every day. That's true. Speaking of things you're stuck with and listeners often complain about, onto the rapid fire. Downtown residents are celebrating the announcement of Safeway Jasper, a new store opening this fall. The news was a welcome surprise to Phil Laborto, who told us, quote, living in the core of the city in a veritable desert of grocery stores, to have a new store opening only three and a half hours away in the National Park, it's going to make my grocery trips so much quicker, end quote. With the new store targeted to open this fall, Safeway is encouraging downtown residents to stock up early, saying that the Yellowhead can get messy on first snow, so residents will want to leave early in order to safely complete their seven-hour grocery round trip or just move to the suburbs like a real Edmontonian. An anti-racist private member's bill has been stalled in the Alberta legislature to make more time for discussion about rodeo as the official sport of Alberta. In a statement released by the Premier's office, the government acknowledges that it supports the anti-racism bill in principle, but questioned whether it was truly mutually exclusive with the rodeo debate. In a follow-up phone call, Jason Kenney confirmed that, quote, I received a lot of mean and mocking comments about me wearing a hat and cowboy boots in the past, and the only explanation for such a thing is systematic discrimination against cowboys, which we hope to correct. After 35 days in custody, the controversial pastor from Grace Life Church has been released from jail. The pastor released a jubilant video on Facebook sharing the news, and he acknowledged that he wasn't perfect. He came in 32 days over Jesus' record, but he committed to shaving time off that number in future runs. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Well-Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. The podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The ECF helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Episode 91, hosted by Taproot's own Emily Rendell Watson, introduces us to three Edmontonians to explore how COVID-19 has impacted each of us differently. You can listen wherever you find your podcasts or subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. We're going to start this episode where council started the week this week, which is transit safety and security. At SAB, the Edmonton Transit Service Advisory Board released a report to city council basically detailing some of the safety and security changes they can recommend for Edmonton Transit. And we got some mixed messaging from council afterwards. Well, actually, I think it was mixed messaging from administration last week. So we're still in this situation where the agendas are coming out a few days before the meeting. So these were posted on Thursday last week. And administration issued a press release and announced that these transit reports were were coming to committee this week. There's a number of them about transit fares and um, ticketing people with no fixed address. And also this one from, from ETSAB. And, and they took great pains also at the time to talk about how they're improving security. And what they're doing is adding new transit peace officers, um, working with the Edmonton Police Service to step up patrols, and looking at adding new security guards to various transit centers around the city. 
And so when you go and look at the report from ETSAB, it's all about COVID-19 safety. The report talks about how transit is not really a hotspot for COVID-19 transmission, that it's an unlikely source of any kind of traceable outbreak, and that there are some things that they recommend the city do to further make people aware of how safe transit is to try to get people back onto the bus again. Not quite the safety we were kind of led to believe it might be about last week. And I think there's two important parts to break down, because like in our interview with the ETS branch manager a couple weeks ago, we know that actual transit physical safety is important and is an issue on the transit service. And many people don't feel safe on transit. So it's like, it's definitely an issue. And maybe it's because the ETSAB report basically said COVID really isn't that big of a threat on transit and we just need to communicate. There wasn't a lot of action items. Maybe that's why it kind of got lost because council administration wanted to lead the banner of we're doing something. But you're right that All we've talked about is this increase in security personnel on transit and not about the COVID-19 protocols, which is ironic because the very recommendation from ETSAB was that we talk more about the COVID protocols. Yeah, one of the, the main suggestions was about communication, communicating what is already being done to keep buses and trains clean. And they had some other suggestions, like maybe there should be visual indicators of cleanliness. So, you know, you go into a a bathroom in some facilities and it's got a sheet on the wall that says when it was last cleaned or those those types of things. They also had recommendations around crowdsourcing information so that they could indicate to people how busy the buses were so they could promote physical distancing. And that's really the bulk of the recommendations. They had an odd one about potentially looking at getting school buses to help increase physical distancing, I guess by leasing additional vehicles. But for the most part, it was transit is fairly safe. The COVID protocols are good. We should communicate to people that they're in place so that they'll come back and ride transit. I think you make a good point that it's not just about am I safe from COVID? It's also, am I safe physically? And uh, and so that's the other part of this that the ETSAB report really didn't touch on. I did see a couple interesting comments from Councillor Knack this week about the COVID of it all, which was talking about masks on transit operators, which is something that operators still aren't required to wear. So as you say, if they're behind the shield currently, they don't need to wear them. Uh, Councillor Knack was suggesting that perhaps that sends a mixed message and that perhaps uh, bus drivers should wear a mask just to illustrate to people who are getting on the bus that you need to wear a mask on the bus. We did hear Steve Bradshaw, the uh, transit union local 569 president, say in a press release that he encouraged drivers to wear masks, but didn't agree that it should be a mandatory measure for operators, which is something that I can understand. Because like you said, transit operators are behind this shield. Yeah. From a pure transmission standpoint, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to force them to wear a mask, especially, you know, if they've got glasses and they're concerned about it fogging up while they're trying to operate a bus. You know, that's all can factor into the discussion. This is mostly a communications exercise to just model good behavior and less about the actual mechanics of this behavior truly being risky. Yeah, I think especially as we head into spring and summer, it's very likely that windows will be open and, you know, air transmission or, you know, the airflow through the bus will be much better than it is in the winter. So I think you're right that the actual risk is probably very low. As we head into spring and summer, we're going to be heading that April 25th date, which is the rollout of the bus network redesign, which we've heard a lot about. We've talked a lot about. And this week, the talk has really ramped up about the bus network redesign. 
Yeah, finally this week, one of the main questions, how do I plan a trip using the new bus network, was answered. And the city announced that the Transit app can now preview what your trip will look like. So if you use the Transit app trip planner and you enter a future date somewhere between April 25th and May 1st, then you'll get to see a preview of what those future trips look like. And so you can do that and then pick a date before April 25th to compare the before and after. And many people have done this online. And most of the responses I've seen have been, oh my God, this makes everything so much worse. To the people's credit, they did actually look at real routes. And yes, they are worse under the redesign. But I think the question I have is, why is anyone surprised about this? For example, I went in, I live centrally close to White Ave, about 10 blocks off of it. And I went in and did a trip plan. And for most of the destinations that I'm likely to go, downtown, the university, maybe Southgate, my trip is basically unimpacted in terms of travel time. It's Mm -hmm. about a half hour to most of my destinations. Walking in some cases has increased ever so slightly, in some cases decreased ever so slightly. The only change is now instead of me having to plan to be there on a 45-minute schedule because buses are running less frequently, I can just sort of go whenever because buses are reliably running. It is a better service for me. I think you had a similar experience living in downtown. Yeah, I mean, looking at the the routes that I would typically go, I mean, the time, total time difference is not very different at all. You know, to me, it's like if it's within five or 10 minutes, you know, and most of them, the ones I looked at were within five minutes, then it's not a huge change. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. I understand, you know, if you don't live in a core area like we do, that you potentially are more likely to be impacted by this. I don't know what the solution or the resolution to that is. I feel like on the one hand, we should demand as Edmontonians that our transit system is efficient and works well for everyone. And I think if you asked Carrie Hahn McDonald and the folks at ETS, they would say, yeah, we want a service that works for everyone. But then the other part of me is like, if you live on the edge of the city, it can't possibly be as good as the service as someone who lives in the core, right? That just doesn't make sense. The messaging that we're seeing from ETS, I've seen, in fact, Carrie personally on Twitter reaching out to people asking, you know, for specific route numbers to really do that client services thing. The message is sort of seemed like this is a bad situation. We're putting out this route that, you know, isn't going to work on everyone. But like, how can ETS fix these small issues that people are having? How can we make the best of this bad situation? And the question I have is, why is ETS carrying so much water for a council that says they support transit but doesn't? Transit has been cut consistently every year for every measurable year in the past decade and a half or so. If you look at the budgets, very, very rarely is there ever an increase to the transit budget. Usually it's kept at zeros, which is a cut or, you know, shifting of budgets. We've had some infrastructure upgrades, you know, we've had LRT. That's great. But in terms of actual operational improvements, there's nothing on the board. Our city has grown massively. It's continued to sprawl and it sprawls more every year. And we are demanding that everyone in the city gets more service. And we're just spreading butter thinner and thinner over a piece of really untasty, flavorless whole wheat bread, which let's be honest, if you eat whole wheat bread, (laughs) something is just wrong with your experience of joy in life. Mixing my metaphors right here, the thesis statement here is why can't we have the messaging like, look, we're cutting, this is hard times, so we're cutting services where they weren't sustainable. And if council doesn't want to put that message that we're cutting transit because that's where 
we want to have cuts, then maybe council should grow up and put actions where their mouths are or just not say it at all. That's my tirade. I'm not sure what you have against whole wheat bread, but I agree with much of what you're saying. I think it is a, it's an alternative approach they could have taken to emphasize um, sort of financial struggles they might face. I think it's clear what Carrie and her team are doing is taking the other approach where they're going to try to be responsive. They're going to try to be agile and make changes and show that somebody's paying attention and is listening to them and is going to adjust things as we go, which is probably the right call to be making. And I think the other thing about this is, you know, I didn't tweet about it. Did you tweet about it? You know, the people that are posting about this are the people that are seeing those negative situations, right? Where the the time is longer or whatever. Uh, and the folks who are probably unimpacted or, or have better service, you know, there's not like a, a huge impetus to go and post that and share that right away. Maybe that'll start to change as we get closer, but so far I've not seen that. No one is going to have a transit route that is substantially faster than what existed before. Right. Like maybe if they optimize a specific transfer point, but you get faster transit times by either one, slowing down cars, or two, doing infrastructure upgrades like dedicated bus lanes, you know, priority signalization, yeah. that sort of stuff. And we're not investing in that. So you're not going to see the jubilant, look at how great this is. You're only going to see people with lateral or slightly better moves and then people with vast, vast declines. So it does make sense that the narrative, like you said, is more bad on the surface. And then I hope that, you know, this idea that ETS is paying attention does mean that we don't go another however many decades it was before there's another redesign. You know, when the Valley Line LRT does open, there's opportunity to redesign again and reintegrate those two systems. And I think if we can lead with this idea that it's not set in stone and that it can be improved over time, that's a much better position than where we were in before. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about the bus network redesign. Like we said, it's launching just about a month from now on April 25th. I'm sure you've seen the signs all over bus stops around the city. And I'm sure once it launches, there will be, if it is as bad as the Reddit users fear that it is, there will be plenty of news article talking to people on the street about just how bad transit has got. I, I believe in our news organizations to get that done. <laughs> I want to talk about a business license fee waiver that executive committee is recommending to city council this week, essentially proposing to cut business license fees in half basically across the board for the next year. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it, Troy? I want to talk about it just so that you can give me the facts on it and I can say why <laughs> these facts don't matter. You're right. They proposed cutting the business license fee in half, and they're also talking about doing the same thing for vehicle for hire fees. This is an improvement over what they did before, where they did have a waiver program, but you had to apply for it. Lots of businesses complained that they didn't know about it. So now they're just saying across the board, we're just going to cut the fee by 50%. Uh, Global News wrote about this, and they identified that most businesses pay $244 a year for their business license. And so this would save them $122. This will be in effect from April of this year to March of next year. And to pay for it, council has decided to take money from the financial stabilization reserve that was appropriated for COVID-19. So you might recall, we talked about the surplus that the city of Edmonton had, and they put a bunch of money aside and said, we might spend this on business. This is them following through on that threat or promise, depending on how you look at it. I guess, and I won't spend very many words on this because like you intuited at the start, I really don't care much about this. But if your business, the make or break point is $122, if you get that $122, you don't go bankrupt. I'm going to say your business was going bankrupt anyway. The other half of this is 
if the city of Edmonton truly wanted to help businesses and prevent businesses from going under, they could do that. The city of Edmonton collects property taxes from all businesses. So there's a huge bucket they could pull from to really change that financial equation. But of course, it would cost the city more money. So absent either side recognizing that this doesn't matter, this seems to just be virtue signaling into the void and spending $3.8 million to do it, which fine, let's do it. Let's save the businesses $122. But let's not pat ourselves on the back about it. I think it's virtue signaling for sure. It's one of the very simple, straightforward mechanisms council has to do that. Making that change, as you suggest, to property taxes is a much, much bigger undertaking. I think the thing we should all question is e-scooter rules, because we heard this week that the rules, they're just not enough. And those e-scooters, they're a menace. And Mac, what did these news organizations tell us we had to care about? Uh, well, the CBC got a look at a survey that the city of Edmonton did related to e-scooters. And I have to say that the results seem like they would be really true. Like people complained about scooters being on the sidewalks first and foremost, and said 95% of respondents said they had seen e-scooter on a sidewalk at least once. And more than half said they've observed them on sidewalks very often. These things all ring true to me as somebody who lives and works and walks downtown where scooters are now everywhere, especially now that Bird has relaunched their scooters for the year as well. I have no question with the facts of these surveys. Scooters are on sidewalks. People ride scooters on sidewalks. This is a fact of life. We can stop questioning whether this is truly happening. It is. But the conclusion that's being drawn from here is that we need to draft up new rules and ramp up enforcement to really educate users and get those menace scooters off of the sidewalk where they're causing a blight to society. And I think that might be a bit of a leap. Yeah, I think there was two approaches that we heard about. So the first is that apparently survey respondents indicated that the city should do more to educate people about the rules of how to use e-scooters. And Councillor Ben Henderson kiboshed that right away. He said, quote, these are commercial enterprises, quite frankly, and if they want to have a license to operate in the city, they should be paying for stuff like that. They're not doing it out of the kindness of their heart, end quote, which I think is true. And I'm glad he said that. Uh, the city shouldn't necessarily be the ones that have to pay for education. So that one is super questionable. I also don't know that that would actually have any kind of impact. The other thing that came up around this is this idea of different zones. One option is to make White Avenue a no-ride zone, and another is to make a reduced speed zone on Jasper Avenue. I suppose both of which could be enabled because these are e-scooters. They have electronics in them. Are they connected to the internet, presumably, or GPS? At least they'd have ge geofencing to be able to prevent them maybe from going in those zones. Scooters already do this. On the legislator grounds, you get reduced speeds and you go slower than a walking pace. So now they're talking about potentially expanding that to two of the main districts in Edmonton where you're likely to find scooters on White Avenue and Jasper Avenue. We really jumped way ahead of ourselves on these survey results because the survey results says we see scooters on sidewalks and, you know, sometimes this frustrates me. I'd like to see a survey of Edmontonians of how many people in the past month can remember that jackass in the jacked up Ford that cut them off on the Henday? I'm going to say that response rate is 100%. And yet we're not geofencing cars. Right. The idea that scooters need action because there is conflict signals that, hey, we have 500,000 rides on this new mode of transportation and we've allocated, there's that word again, 10% of the road space 
to both pedestrians and people scooting and, you know, people walking their bicycles and, you know, sign space and benches and patios and, and, and. We are squeezing all the people and making everyone fight against each other so that big car go fast on beep beep road. Why aren't we talking about reducing traffic lanes on White Ave permanently? Because clearly this signals that there is a huge demand for space on White Ave. This is a non-story and we should not have any new rules for e-scooters except perhaps to explicitly allow them to ride on sidewalks, which they're doing anyway. My very first reaction to this idea that we have a reduced speed zone on Jasper Avenue was like, well, why would we do that? And the idea is that if scooters have to go slower there, they're more likely to go on a different road, which means there's more room for pedestrians on the sidewalks on Jasper Avenue. And I was like, why don't we do that for cars? If we want to make it safe for pedestrians, why don't we make the cars go slower in lots of places so that we can keep them away from places where pedestrians are? Isn't that what Vision Zero should be about? I I completely agree with you that the focus on e-scooters as a menace here is the wrong one. You're talking about uh, car speed limit reductions. And I think councils explicitly said such an action to reduce speed limits for vehicle traffic would be social engineering, which isn't the place of a city council. So I think (laughs) that we're talking about this for e-scooters really signals the cognitive dissonance of the legislators in this case. The other point that I'll mention is GPS isn't that accurate. You can't geofence the White Ave sidewalk. Scooters are supposed to be on the road. So If we're saying that scooters aren't allowed on the sidewalk and need to be on the road, that's the appropriate place for them to be. And we're saying this scooter needs to go on a White Ave roadway at maximum eight kilometers an hour. Who does that help? What this rule is effectively saying is don't ride e-scooters by your destination. What's the point of an e-scooter if you can't get to your destination? Do you think e-scooters will get a lot of usage if they're not available where people are and they're just piled up on side streets because they physically can't move to the main streets? It's just a ridiculous proposition that doesn't hold up to the minimal amount of scrutiny. And I got to say, I'm a little bit disappointed with the Downtown Business Association and the OSBA Association directors who both said that a no-ride zone for Jasper Avenue and White would be a benefit and would encourage people to use the available bike lane infrastructure. I think the unequivocal change here is that scooter users, which that study you mentioned last week brings more money into the economy, would just stop doing that. I think it would be an irreplaceable harm for businesses in the same way that we've seen bike lanes in front of businesses always offset the loss in parking and increase revenues. Why are we complaining about more people getting to their destination? And why are business associations complaining about that? It baffles my mind. 100%. I agree 100%. If you're driving in a vehicle and you're going on White Ave and you spot a store that you'd like to stop at, good luck. Good luck stopping, right? Whereas if you're on a scooter or a bike, it's very easy to get out and go to that destination and patronize that business. It is truly shocking that the business associations can't see that and that they would rather have vehicles take up that space than people who can quickly get out on foot and go and buy something at a local business. I'm looking at the waveforms in this episode and I can just see them as the audio manifestation of Troy's a little bit cranky tonight and it's really coming (laughs) out in the commentary on these items. But not wrong. Cranky but not wrong. If I could get that on just like a uh, placard and I could carry it around as my slogan. Cranky but not wrong. Mm, That's a good (laughs) brand. I want to talk about something that I am 
unlikely to be able to be cranky about. And this was something you threw in, which was just fun facts for me. Waste Resolutions Edmonton was dissolved this week. And I have no idea what that is. What's that, Mac? Yeah, so Waste Resolutions was something that uh, the city and council set up in 2013. And the whole idea with this company, this is a private corporation, 100% owned by the city. It had a board of directors. The whole idea here was to deliver profitable waste management services to municipal governments in other countries using what we've learned to help them become more environmentally sustainable. Just a quick question there. This is the same uh, waste solutions that we pretended were 90% diversion and were actually sub 30%? Yeah, that's right. Uh, (laughs) I I don't think the organization itself was a sham. I think they intended to actually do something useful. And then it came to light, of course, that we're not actually as good at municipal waste services as we thought we might have been. So needless to say, the company never became very successful and, and now has wrapped up all of its business. And so this report to executive committee was basically saying, It's not doing any business anymore. It's got some money that will be returned to the city. We need to make this organization dormant for the foreseeable future. So this organization was made dormant. It wasn't fully dissolved and paperwork sent to the province to disband this corporation. What's this organization doing now? Is it just sitting there? Are we going to have Waste Resolutions Edmonton Limited as a business owned by the city of Edmonton forever? Well, I was really interested in that very question. And so I just started Googling. In the report here, you can see that the corporation's name is actually, you know, 2492369 Canada Corporation. So it's a numbered corporation. So I started looking this up. And if you just search for this organization, you can find all of these online, you know, digital paper trail of uh, of breadcrumbs, I guess, of, of this corporation. And you can also go to the Government of Canada website and you can search for federal corporations. And so I searched for this one and it said that it was actually created for the first time in 1989. And I was like, hang on, what? 1989, I thought they said they created this thing in 2013. It turns out this used to be the Edmonton Telephones Corporation from 1989 to 1995. And then it became this numbered corporation in 1995. I haven't completed all of the deep dive into the history. So if any of you listeners out there have uh, the details, I'd love to hear it. But what I gather is that when we privatized Edmonton Telephones into TELUS, the city was sued by Shaw and a whole bunch of other people. And that numbered corporation remained in existence until those lawsuits had concluded. And then I imagine what happened is the city had this corporation. It was just sitting there dormant. And they thought, huh, we need a company for this waste thing. Let's use that one. And so now we're back in a situation where it's dormant again. And it begs the question what it'll be used for next. I guess we need to start a poll. Corporation McCorporation face, perhaps. It's an option. All right, I have one last thing, Troy, that I need to ask you about. I was browsing Reddit, as I often do, and I noticed there was a photo of a yellow book with the word Edmonton on it. And it occurred to me, this was the Yellow Pages. And there's a big, long thread about you know, what these are good for. There's the sort of expected comments about it being Firestarter. But there's actually a few people in the comments who mentioned you specifically and asked what your plans were. For those who do not know of my shame... In 2020, I received a phone book and I said, by golly, what could I do with this phone book? And I thought, you know what? Yellow Pages Fort 2020. I wanted to collect as many of these phone books as possible and build a fort in my front yard with Yellow Pages. You would have seen images of such a fort had it come to fruition. No, what happened is I spent 
months biking around, picking up people's phone books, organizing pickup and delivery. And I've got a stack of maybe like 80 to 100 phone books that have sit in my office since. Not enough to build a fort, more than enough to be frustrating and take up a lot of space. <laughs> this is the worst case scenario outcome where I can't throw them away because I would know that I have failed. So the phone book fort has sat dormant and it will sit dormant like the Edmonton numbered corporation until I have the will to attempt this again. If you have phone books, DM me. I'll come pick up your phone books. Might as well make the pile worse. I mean, they keep sending these things out every year. It can't be long before you have enough to make that fort. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get into the situation where I'm just like racking up the phone books year by year until I finally have enough <laughs> that like my floors in my office upstairs are bowing and I have to put them out on the front lawn to make a fort. I don't I don't want that to be the outcome. But you'll, tell, you'll still take people's phone books in the meantime. I'll still take your phone books. Send me an email. Send me a tweet. I'll, I'll come get your phone books because the dream is not dead. It's only close to there. Very, very, very close. But your dreams should never die. And Nate Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlife.ca and Nate, offers real world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. Discover perspective, tools, and tips essential to your career growth and success. Co-host Brian Allery shares more about what to expect from this podcast. I fought fires in Australia in 2009, and I just happened to be there when there's an eight-year drought going on, and there's record-breaking temperatures, and a few thousand fires started in one day. In the town that I was in, 34 people died, so that was a pretty scary time. I love Anthony Bourdain. I read Kitchen Confidential, it got me into cooking. I thought, this is rock and roll, this is cool. Anthony Bourdain was a failed chef, and the things he did and romanticized led him to ruin. People get lost in that message. If I, a young business owner who owns a cafe in a small town, can make time for mental health in my business and to help educate our guests and our peers, then what's stopping larger groups of restaurants and better chefs than me from doing it in theirs? Introducing Career Essentials, a new podcast from Tech Life Today and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. We feature the stories and experiences of Nate alumni with lessons for everyone. Whether you're just starting out or further along your career journey, each episode will give you perspectives, tools, and tips that are essential to growth and success. And who knows, we might even inspire you to pursue a completely new career path for professional and personal satisfaction. Career Essentials is created and hosted by the team at techlifetoday.ca, Nate's online magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Career Essentials on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also find it at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast. That's all for this week. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, normally we might say what we're doing next week, but we don't know yet. How do we close this one? You I mean, you can throw it at me for something if you want. Mac, is Taproot up to anything super interesting? Always interesting stuff from Taproot. If you're not already a, a subscriber to The Pulse, you should definitely do that. And we're also in the middle of the People's Agenda listening session. So every Thursday at noon till the end of April, we're hosting a Zoom call where we are exploring one of the questions that has come up in the early draft of the People's Agenda. Um, we had Christy Morin from um, 
Hearts on the Ave last week. We've got Barry Morishita, who's been on our podcast before from the AUMA uh, this week to talk about uh, integrity. So that will have happened by the time you listen to this episode. Um, but check it out at, at uh, tapperedemonton.ca for upcoming sessions and come tell us what you want candidates to be talking about as we head ever closer to the municipal election. Always stuff that you can check into, but the place you always need to check into is right here every week, Friday at noon, where we will guide you through everything you need to care about in this rowdy bunch of 13 that we call Edmonton City Council. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. I went real NPR vibes at the end there. You did, yeah.